So welcome to the Youth Athletic Podcast, or the YAP, as you guys all know. I'm Eric Strassman, and with me as always is John Coleman and Paul Kenny. How are you guys doing? Feeling good. good. Yeah, and as always, a delayed response from them. I love it. So when we're uh, <laughs> when we were talking about today, uh, you know, we were talking about our podcast today. We decided that we wanted to talk about energy systems and conditioning. Um, so this is an area that I've had a, a bunch of experience with. Actually, one of the first uh, first coaches that I ever really got into reading their stuff, uh, like individually, not like say like Nazem told me to, was Joel Jameson, and you know he had become the energy system guy by the time I had gotten his information. Um, I think I want to start this off with uh, asking John and Paul, who influenced you guys the most when it came down to understanding conditioning? We'll start off with John. Well, honestly, it was the uh, Exos education. Uh, as soon as I learned, uh, as soon as I took the uh, sports performance uh, coach course, I believe that's what it's called, um, that's when I learned a lot about about uh, what's up with energy systems. How about you, Paul? Yeah, it's actually the same. I got a book called Every Day is Game Day um, from my boss when I first started here. And I read up on Exos and Mark Verstegen, and that was kind of the first touch into everything I kind of thought about, but never really organized. You know, what system you're using for which athlete. You know, it was a concept we all kind of looked at the sport and thought about, but they really organized it well. Cool. So let's go through this. Um, First off, what I want to do is I want to break down the athletes that we have a chance to work with. And um, I think when we were talking earlier, uh, John and Paul were talking about that there was a lot of uh, similarities between the athletes that they're working with. And I think that's going to influence their principles a bit, but um, I maybe break that down right off the bat. So John, who are you typically working with uh, when, when you have an athlete come to you? So I would say hundred percent of the athletes are trained are team sport athletes. So that's like your football, your baseball, lacrosse, soccer, um, so all those kind of teams for athletes. And with those athletes, would you say that they require the exact same training or is there a difference in the energy system training that you would be thinking about? Uh, I would say they're all pretty similar. Um, some are on uh, one side of the round more than others, but pretty similar. Now, are they similar or more based on the fact that your role as a coach is a bit more specific and you're not teaching the uh the actual like skills of the game and and the strategy or are they actually more similar i would say you talking about energy system or yeah yeah just from an energy system standpoint yeah i would just say they're more similar in general but like i said there's like for example a soccer player may need some more uh anaerobic lactic work more than like a football player or even by position, bro. Um, maybe a lineman uh, needs a different system than a wide receiver. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, I think it's a good way to look at it. I think actually breaking down the positions and, you know, those, that should probably be an important question when you're, uh, when you're talking with the athlete and you're doing your assessment process. Uh, how about you, Paul? Who do you normally work with? The team sport athletes is basically um, the gist of our population here. Uh, it gets a little trickier when you're starting to get into track athletes, uh, sprint athletes, middle endurance or a middle distance or like cross country. But, uh, yeah, it's the team sport athletes. Cool. And break it down a little bit for me there. So like if you have a track athlete and especially someone who's running like a hundred meters, 
that's probably going to be one very specific uh, energy system, right? Yeah, and it really depends on the season too. So a lot of our 100-meter sprinters, if they're you know more elite or experienced in track, they won't do the indoor season as they would do the outdoor. The outdoor in the spring is generally their, you know, where they're getting looked at by colleges, where they're running their best times. Indoor is kind of where they're just kind of getting their legs going. So with a, with a sprint athlete like the 100, if they're in season, we're not touching any sprint mechanic work. We're not touching any maximal intensity work. We're not even, you know, going near that quick system. That's what they're going to do at the track. What we're going to do in the gym is make sure that their muscles are strong, um, they have the elasticity when their knee needs to flex and drive back up um, and they're staying injury free because there's nothing, you know, more forceful or more impactful than a sprinter. It gets a little trickier when you get into the middle distance and cross country runners. When I get to them, I usually tell them, you know, Hey, you're filling your endurance bucket when you're, you know, on the track or on the, um, on the trail. What we're here to do is make sure your joints are stable, your muscles are strong, we're keeping you healthy. And then if there's a chance we can work on some of that speed work to you know, help your boost or your burst at the end, we'll do it. But you can't really track too far into the sports coach's territory. As the strength coach, you have to just do what you can and hope they're doing it on that end because those girls are running 30 to 40 miles a week. Yeah, that's like so. that sort of, that's the idea of like giving them what they don't get, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think when we're talking about, say, we even get in the middle distance runners, I think one of the, the big misconceptions here is like you just have to be able to run longer than someone else and you're good. But you know, I always hear like Jimmy Radcliffe talk about the fact that like even when he's working with middle distance athletes, you need that ability to be able to say urge away from somebody. So it's that ability to be able to create a little bit of, uh, of extra force. And uh, again, teaching the running mechanics like is huge. Um, giving them the physical ability to be able to create that force in the ground is important. And I think also just being aware of uh, if the athlete is, is not where they need to be trying to, to train them in a way where they're not only working on the ability to create that force, but maybe that's when you might look into your programming and figure out if there's, you know, if there's a real gap there, if they don't have the aerobic uh, capacity to be able to do the activity and they're, they're not getting it at, at their school or something of that nature. I think it's your job to figure out how you can help them uh, maintain that force longer. I mean, I think a lot of times we as strength coaches, you know, we look at ourselves as strength coaches, but if we're a strength and speed coach, then we would say, well, we want to be able to develop speed with this. And I think even if you're going to work with a middle distance athlete, we do have to look at that conditioning word, understand it. And um, yeah, I don't think any of us want to sit around and watch them run for 30 minutes straight or something, but maybe doing longer work or, doing some of that speed work and possibly reducing the, uh, the rest periods in which they, uh, they would typically train in just to be able to give them a little bit more of that, um, a little bit more of that feeling of fatigue or, you know, improving their conditioning uh, in, in that way too, especially for football guys. And John, I think that was something that we were talking about. Um, we were talking about when you train football athletes, you know, you had a specific rest period that you would typically do sled work with. Right. So can you break that first down and, and, and explain the energy system you would typically train your football guys in? Yeah. So I would say it's more like anaerobic, uh, alactic, but like I was saying like a four to five second, we were talking about sleds. I was, I was saying like yep. a four to five second, like hard burst with the sled then rest like 35 to 40 seconds. Right. Almost similar to a game, like the same game sort of environment. Um, 
obviously that's more like uh general like they're not running routes or anything but it's similar you know yeah and again i think that's a good way to be able to prepare the uh the the body to be able to generate force for a specific time period and also it was cool is it's you're really staying within a certain time range remember that guy so when we're talking about a lactic I think, you know, when we're talking about, I think the, the statistic I've seen is maybe 10 seconds, you know, that's really it. Like if you're 10 second first and you do need a full recovery. So that's the mm -hmm. other interesting thing, right? And full recovery could mean something different for everybody. We're talking about a, uh, you know, a hundred meter sprinter, right? And let's say they ran 10 seconds, which would be pretty good, right? If they're going to do that and they were really fast running hundred meters at that point, a lot of these coaches are giving them like uh, 10 to 15 minutes. So that yeah. ratio is greatly different. But in team sports, that's not how this would work. There's no way you can have a guy like, you know, Deshaun Jackson run 70 yards by somebody. And then at that point, um, you know, if he just doesn't feel recovered in the next 15 minutes when he has to go back out there because uh, the ball was turned over or maybe, you know, five minutes, he can't really just say like, well, <laughs> I'm not recovered yet. I'm going to take longer. You know, a lot of times hey. you have to recover. Honestly, though, when you said that, all I thought about was this girl that came in two or three weeks back, and their coach doesn't understand that. She was doing 200-meter sled drag runs, and she's a 100-meter sprinter. And the coach – and the coach – it's, it was a cross-country coach, I believe, who took over with the sprinters because there wasn't a sprint coach or something. But his idea was always the cross-country idea of run more so you get better at the short. So if you run more than what you're supposed to, you're going to get better at the short run. But you take a sprinter and you attach a sled to him, and I don't care if you put 10 pounds on it, 15 pounds, and you have him run a 200, he was only giving him a minute recovery and having him do it again. And it was oh like, now they're taking that racehorse we want, and they're making the plow horse. And it's like, guess what? There's a reason that these 100-meter sprinters are racehorses. you got to treat them that way. Absolutely. And I think, you know, some of these younger kids, like if you have a really long, lanky kid who can't generate power, I don't mind having the kid run a little bit longer because I'm a little bit less worried about him running longer and starting to be able to build the skill. And then once he starts to be able to be expressive and he can put that force out, then you can have him do the short to long approach. I mean, let's be honest. I guess this with adults. There are some adults that have never, ever had to put a whole lot of force out when they run. So all of a sudden, you have them do sprints, and you have them do 10-second sprints. Now, I'm gassed after 10-second sprints because I have the ability to create force, right? It's just something I've been able to do for years. But when you get an adult who can't be powerful, they run for 10 seconds, and they're like, okay, what's next? And you're like, what's next? Like, you, you die for a little bit, and then you come back and do it again, you know? So there's yeah. something to that, you know? And I think that's the thing we have to look at sometimes as, uh, as coaches also is, if they don't have the physical ability to be able to create that force yet, sometimes you can have them go a little bit longer, develop the skills, and go from there. Is that, mm -hmm. is that a, a fair assessment? Yeah, I guess you got to look out what kind of look at the amount of output uh, they can produce. You know what I mean? So. Absolutely. Well, it's, fun, yeah. it's funny you're talking about adults. I had this problem with college athletes last summer. You know, some college athletes we we're doing basically sprint. 80 to 100 meters and then slowly walk the turn to allow adequate recovery and then repeat back again we probably weren't giving specifically enough recovery the kids were walking a little too fast but i had one athlete who was saying this is too easy and she's like what should i do should i do more and my answer sounded too simplistic i said run faster right. like she was running she was running the 100 meter sprint in like 18 seconds she's like no 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 it's too easy 
So she started jogging the turns. So I started timing her on my watch and she was around the hundred in about 20 seconds. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right. So I brought the sensors out the next week and we did a hundred meter repeats with a walk back. She made it through five. And right. the past week she did like 18 was like, this is still too easy. I need to run longer. I'm like, no, you need to run harder. You pull out the sensors. Boom. <clears throat> it's, it's, yeah. That's why sometimes we talked about gamifying our training. We talked about that last time um, in a couple uh, podcasts. But if you give them like a time limit, right, or, or a time they need to beat, then they're going to run a lot harder. In your case, you brought out the laser, you know. So Yeah, and that's cool too. I mean, again, I've been able to work with this free lab system. And, you know, I think that's been a, a really cool component of things and, and, and definitely gotten the group a little bit more motivated to see what their times are and beat their own times. Um, mm-hmm. I think maybe just taking it back a little bit though. So if we're going to look at specific sports, right, and we're going to say that somebody's a soccer player, right, and soccer, mm-hmm. do you guys work with soccer players at all? Yeah, yeah sometimes. Yeah, I've got a few too. So the interesting thing is um, I think it's important to have an aerobic base when you play soccer. So as a coach, if you're trying to prescribe um, some level of aerobic work, like let's say they can, they're meeting with you three times a week and you're doing um, great work when it comes down to building up the ability to be able to produce force, you're making them stronger, they're more stable, but you realize they're about to go into a season. Maybe they're say six weeks out and there's no conditioning being done, none. Um, do you guys have a specific idea for an actual conditioning program that you throw in there? Like, what would you guys do for uh, allowing them to be able to maintain their energy in a way that's effective for the sport? How would you assess it? And then where would you go from there? So I don't know if I'm be able to answer your question, but for me, most of the soccer players that I train, like they're already getting a ton of conditioning at practice. Like, their coach, like, that's all they know, like, that sort of long-duration conditioning. And they're play- And generally, soccer players play the game a lot, you know, um, so they're always playing. Um, so for me, when I have soccer players, I try to, like I said in the beginning, is give them um, what they don't really work on. So I'll do more, like, acceleration work rather than long-duration work. You know what I mean? Or or anaerobic work. Just because I know what they're getting already. Like and plus most soccer players, they like their big thing is going out for runs. Like I already know they're gonna do it, so why would I double down on that? You know what I mean? So Well, question for you though. So you know they're gonna do those runs and they tell you, Hey man, I'm gonna I'm gonna go and run. Do you advise them on their their work there, or is that pretty much for you like a hands off? Like you're just like, you know what? that's not my department and I'm going to stick with making sure that you guys have the ability to be able to get to that ball quickly. However you want to condition yourself, that's going to be kind of up to the other coach and everything else. No, I'll give them some advice. Like I'll say, listen, like, um, like a lot of soccer guys, they'll say, Oh, my, my shins hurt. Like my, my knees hurt. Uh, after I go for long, long, uh, runs, I'm like, maybe that run is a little bit too long or, uh, Maybe you're doing it too often, you know. Um, I'll give them advice on that. Um, I try to tell them more so if you're going to do conditioning, do more like shuttle type conditioning, like a longer, like maybe like your your 100-yard shuttles or 200-yard shuttle type conditioning as opposed to your, uh, I don't know, 10-mile runs, you know. I think I think basically the, the – uh... 
the way you have to look at it, I think he's back. But with a soccer athlete, the aerobic system is the in-between of those bursts. When you're doing interval training and you're doing the max speed work, when they're jogging between that, that's when the aerobic is key. So those long runs, I wouldn't say they're terrible, but like you're saying, I I kind of abide by the Mike Boyle's buckets approach. Like John was saying, they're getting a ton of endurance. If you only have a gallon of water and you have four buckets to fill and it's your speed, strength, power, and endurance, and their endurance is full, then – the only way to get better at that is to build upon another quality. So in my opinion, it's kind of goes two ways. The aerobic system is going to help with that recovery, but you also need to tap into that lactate power, that lactate threshold um, anaerobic system, because if you don't, they're never going to maximize who they are. So say I have a soccer athlete that is in good condition and they're used to doing 20 minute runs. I would not change the duration. I would change the concept. I wouldn't have them run at a steady state, slow moving activity, like a low amplitude activity. I'd have them do 10 seconds of a 90% sprint. And then I'd actually have them jog super, super slow for 50 and do that Mm. for 20 minutes. So now Mm. you're still doing the same duration, but you're actually revving up and revving down and you're teaching Mm. the engine to turn on and turn off and the aerobic system to turn on and then get to the, uh, you know, the, the, the quick systems. I think Mm. that's kind of the concept you got to look at, but the way John did it with the, the buckets approach, you know, if they're already hammering endurance, most soccer athletes, you you get them in the gym, they, they're not strong. They're not fast. They're not powerful. So it's a very low hanging fruit to touch there. But when you get an athlete in soccer, like we have a few college soccer athletes and they're good at everything. I think the fartlek runs like those 10 second, 15 second runs, and then the 50 to 45 second recover works great. Yo, I like that right there, man. That fartlek was definitely one of the things I was going to bring up or the, uh, you know, back in the day, we call them Indian sprints, that kind of thing. But I think that works out really well, you know, Basically, you're just you're doing what they're doing in soccer. And I think that's the idea is, you know, stare at the player, look at how the player moves, look at what the energy requirements are of that player. Also, do you guys ever put heart rate monitors on your players? Um, not not personally, just because I don't have access to them. But um, but some of the kids actually have these watches. So, I mean, we yeah. just have watches as well. Feels so like I'll that. say this. Yeah. If you get to see them do it, one of the cool things is if they're sometimes in practice, you get them to put a heart rate monitor on. And you get a chance to monitor what they're doing. You get to see those little, like, those little curves in there. I've been fortunate enough where I've had a chance to see uh, coaches of mine uh, who have, you know, good buddies of mine who have some of those uh, systems like catapult and that kind of thing. And it's cool because you basically get to see them take these really, really quick bursts. And then at that point, you get to see a lot of, like, hanging out in, say, zone three, zone two. So we're thinking about all five zones, right? One, two, pretty, pretty low scale. Three is usually right there in that, like, you know, sort of, like lower aerobic and then four is obviously you know that sort of mid like mid aerobic uh you know but like usually you're, you're cranking your heart rate up and then by the time you get up to the zone five that's usually like redlining it and that's usually when guys are really exhausted and you know some of the best people that you see do that sport can get into the reddit points but bring it right back down so it's that ability to be able to create a great deal of force and then be able to bring it back down so that's some of the things that i tend to look at and think like well like you're talking about build the ability to be able to create that level of force, right? Because if the athletes aren't strong, they can't do that. Build that ability to create that level of force. And then we want to work on that ability to be able to recover so that you can then bring yourself back down and be able to recreate that again. So, I mean, there's a lot, I guess what we're kind of summing up here is there's a lot of roles as a, uh, as a strength and conditioning coach. But I think when we're talking about conditioning, 
it's making sure that we give these athletes what they need to be effective in their sports and maintain their energy when they're playing the sport and also be able to have that that burst when they need it and that's I think essentially what you're talking about with like say like the buckets approach too if an athlete's not strong then why are we spending our time building up conditioning at the same time if you get a guy who's super fast but he burns himself out in three plays that might be the athlete that we want to spend a little bit more time on actually mm-hmm. developing somewhat of an, an aerobic system. So I guess right. it comes down to your uh, assessment process. Now, do you guys have a specific assessment process for conditioning? Are you taking the word of the parent, the athlete, the coach? How do you guys figure out if this athlete is, um, you know, conditioned enough to be able to spend the energy you want on the field? It's funny. I used to have a 300 yard shuttle at the conclusion of every one of my assessments. Mm-hmm. I, took it, I, I took it out a year ago because I was tired of seeing kids go to the bathroom and throw up. And, right. and, yeah. and, and then they have to sit across from you and talk about the results and they look right, like right. they're about to throw up on your desk. So yeah. we actually build that in. I give the athletes a level and it's kind of based off the exo stuff. Um, when an athlete comes in and they're what I consider a level one, that's like your sixth, seventh, eighth grader. That's never really trained. Maybe they play a sport like baseball or softball and they're, you know, not doing a ton of aerobic work. A level one athlete will not need to do a 300 yard shuttle in my gym until maybe three months into their training because aerobic base is the, you know, low horsepower, highly fuel efficient training energy system that they need to work on. They can't access those top speeds. They can't access that max force like you're talking about, Eric. And there's no point trying to do interval work with a kid who doesn't have an aerobic base. Um, Now, if I get a college athlete in here, yeah, they're doing a 300 in their assessment. That's something that they're going to do at their school probably, depending on their sport, position, et cetera. But, uh, yeah, I kind of took that out. I do take their word for it a little bit. But you should be able, as a coach, to get a good read after that first workout. Are they sweating after the warm-up? Are they dead? And it takes them an hour plus to get through the weight section. Um, And can they even walk out of the gym without doing conditioning? Yeah, those are great points. And again, I think that's a, that's a good one to be able to bring up to the coaches there too, is for you, you're breaking it down by age, which makes a lot of sense. Um, And I think that's, that's good for anybody who's working with some of these younger athletes too, is understanding that they probably don't have full ability to create power. So it might make more sense to spend more of your time on that and on basically just training the body to be able to recruit everything at the right time so that they're able to do these things. So I think that's really where our strength and coordination factor comes in there, right? You know, doing the right kind of work so that they can get their body to work together. And then once you can start to get to that point, then you can pay more attention to the conditioning work. I think also just from on my end, there's a component of trying to understand from the parents, the athletes, and if you ever can get, get the, the coach um, and be able to exp- and figure out what the coach is doing with them and what the coach would like to see them do. There's something about that because, you know, I, I found that sometimes schemes can be a different thing too. So, you know, depending on the, uh, on the team, some teams will actually have like, say these, uh, these soccer goalies doing more and being like a sweeper keeper, whereas other ones will just have the kids just standing in the net. Right. If we're talking about combat athletes, there's something about understanding a game plan. Now, granted, if we're talking about the youth athletic podcast, we're probably not talking a lot about that, but we might talk about wrestling a little bit. So wrestling is a little bit more of a sport where you want the kids to be a lot more explosive because you want that ability to be able to pick somebody up, move them, not get taken down, that kind of thing. But you also need to be able to build that energy system. And remember, I've said this before, this is one of these sports where you can't tag somebody in to get yourself out of the jam. So there's something to a wrestler who's going to probably be running steps, 
they're probably going to be drilling like crazy. But if you see that a wrestler is really strong and sort of built in a weight room, it might make more sense to do some of the stuff that I heard John mention right before we got started, which is a little bit more of that idea of the conditioning through the, uh, through like the, uh, the strongman work. So we mm -hmm. break that down a little bit, John. So what's strongman conditioning like? Yeah. So my, I call it modified strongman conditioning or modified strongman training. Um, just because some of the stuff that strongmen do, I'm just not going to do with my team sport athletes. So basically it's I'm just not picking up giant Atlas stones. Yeah, we're not, I mean, we could, but I'm not. Um, so it basically it's like sled work, sled pushes, sled drags, uh, farmers carries, asymmetrical carries. Um, I would pick up like a sandbag, like walk with a sandbag, um, hand over hand, uh, sled pulls with the rope, uh, med ball slams, uh, things of that nature. Um, even like med ball tosses over your shoulder. Um, things almost, I call it, I used to call it, especially when I only trained uh, male athletes, I'd say man, uh, man work. So I'd be like, when yeah. we got today, coach, I'd say, dude, we're just doing some man work. Talk about how John sold his, sold his young clients on this man work. They're like, I want to be like you. I can do this, John. Is this what you did? You're yeah, like, bro. yeah. We're sure. just doing man work, dude. That's it. I, I like that you explained that more, you know, on the podcast because I was kind of trying to get an idea of what you meant by it. And it's kind of similar to what we call here is unconventional conditioning. Basically, uh, if, yeah. if somebody comes in and they're super sore, they won't be able to move at top speeds. They won't be able to lift heavy weights, but they want to get their body moving for 25 to 30 minutes. I tell my coaches and I, you know, tell the athletes, we're going to pick a high intensity exercise, whether it's a point three on the bike, or a 75 foot climb on the Versa climber, push the prowler for 30 yards. Mm -hmm. It's something that's going to be sub 12 seconds at high intensity. Um, or if you're on the bike a little longer, uh, then you have some kind of strength work, like a carry or a mm -hmm. drag. And then you go into some kind of movement or mobility, like a body weight lunge in any direction. Then you'll have a med ball power drill and then you'll have a core drill. And basically the core drill at the end is just supposed to be, you know, through tiredness and exhaustion, can you keep your trunk stable? And then mm. after that, it's rest as needed and you go right back to the top. And you basically set a timer and you tell them, look, we want anywhere between six to eight rounds. When they get to the end of the summer, they're doing like 12 to 14 and they're still mm -hmm. doing pretty well and not super exhausted. But it's concepts they're going to use in their sport. It's unconventional in the ideas, but it's also great because they're not going to be sore the next day. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking to you wrestlers out there, these are the type of things that you can do that uh, will give you that farm boy strength. You know, I tend to yeah. like the battle ropes, yes. something we didn't mention. Tire flips are good in there. You know, honestly, if you're one of those guys with a tire and a, and a, and a hammer, that's kind of nice. You can just kind of like work on that rotational force and slam it down. This is a time where I think you can actually throw that landmine in there and do some cool work there too. But it's really this idea of just being able to train the body to move in different planes of motion. Um, mm -hmm. pick up odd objects, right? Have to adjust your body, maneuver your body properly to, to, to get the weight where you want it. And I think it's also just, if we're, we're talking about this, it's just unorthodox enough and uncommon enough that it's kind of fun. It doesn't necessarily feel like weights. doesn't necessarily feel like you're, you know, doing a standard workout. So I think for a lot of kids, this ends up being a little bit of a release. It feels more like play, right? That kind yeah. of thing. So um, and it's one of those things that I've always enjoyed, too. Well, I've trained a lot of individuals, older adults, and actually started to train older adults and their kids to do a mud run together. And if you want to talk about mud runs, you know, a lot of times it ends up being most, most people are doing a three-mile run. 
And then it has like say 20 or 30 different obstacles. And these are also cool things that you can throw in there. So I tend to think of a, a mud run and, and some of the training that we would do there as being something that you might even throw in for, you know, some of the combat athletes. And, you know, honestly, it's probably even good to do for some of your cross country athletes sometimes because, you know, if you're going to throw some different obstacles in, in the middle of them doing some, some, you know, I don't know, some sprints on a, uh, on a Versa climber or something like that, it's a nice change of pace, keeps them more, more into what you're doing. And it sometimes develops skills that, you know, they never would develop if, uh, if coach wasn't throwing it at them. Now, my thing is, um, is it possible? And I think, I think it is, I'm asking you guys, is it possible to also prep the muscular system for conditioning uh, in the weight room with tempo, with tempo? Tempo is a great way to do it. You definitely are working yeah. in, those, in those energy systems. Um, one way that, that we've been able to, to prove that is by putting a heart rate monitor on somebody. And a lot of times mm -hmm. when you have them do like say 15, you know, or I'm sorry, you have them do maybe say like eight to 12 reps, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Mm -hmm. And then you have them maybe go through that kind of sequence or something of that nature yep. and then only give them maybe say like a minute's rest or so. It's cool because sometimes you'll see that that heart rate gets way up there towards the tail end. By the time they come back in it, sometimes they're actually training in the specific conditioning zone that you want. So that's, you know, I, I think tempo work is actually one of those ones that you can put in there, especially when you're trying to be able to build more muscular endurance, like, you know, training the muscles to move longer and, you know, and have more fatigue. How do you feel about that, Paul? I want to send John an email right now with what I do with our baseball players. Um, we call mobility circuits because to every baseball coach out there or strength coach out there, running poles is bullshit. Stop running poles and doing this slow, low amplitude work with your baseball players. I think if you're trying to train like that heart rate and get the muscles ready, mobility circuits with tempos, with no weights, watch their heart rates go up just from changing positions. Like mm -hmm. you could do a tempoed goblet squat with no weight, just you know, body weight squat, five seconds down, five second hold, five seconds on the way up, do about five of those. Then you drop them to a half kneel hip flexor stretch. Then you roll them to the back and do a core exercise. And you basically, just by changing positions, the squat really fires the muscles up. Then you switch to the stretch. It really opens up the areas they need to for their sport. And then you flip them to their back where you know their heart rate is going to jack up because of their positioning of their body. And you, do, you can change it up week to week. But what I tell the baseball pitchers is we don't like running. It was the old school theory of thought of after you pitch, you, you go run and it's going to drain the lactic acid out, but doing something like running. But you got to do it for at least five miles, right? Wasn't well, that like the number? Something oh crazy? my God. It was like five to six miles. I swear. And don't get me wrong. Aerobic base is vital for acute and chronic recovery, but to do a low amplitude modality, like running and then think you're going to go out on the mound and throw 90 and your body's going to recover because you ran. That, that's not how it works. You want to do things that's going to actually raise the heart rate that's not going to be too extreme and then allow that aerobic system to recover you between throws. Yeah. I'll go one step Another, further, too. This is where I like that Mark Pro. You know, if you're going to talk about that kind of concept, I think a lot of times they were talking about doing this because it was just a great way to, to get blood flow, to be able to get blood to pump in, pump congestion out, right? But if you think about it, you know, if you're running and primarily all you're doing for that arm there is maybe a little bit of swing action there, you're not even taking it through anywhere near the range of motion that they are when they're, they're pitching. 
I think, you know, putting a Mark Pro or, you know, a, a unit that the Mark Pro is basically like the, um, you know, one of those like a, like electro stem units, right? And I think putting one of those things on the shoulder right after, uh, right after pitching, that's a better way to pump it out if that's the goal, you know, but I actually think doing that kind of, uh, that kind of distance running, especially just blanket statement too, five to six miles. Most pitchers suck at running, man. They're bad at it. And they're usually not your, your best athletes. That's actually the problem. Usually instead of training the pitchers to be athletes, we have a tendency to just let them throw and then have them do distance running. So, I mean, no wonder why the guys got no athleticism. Hey, so not, I think it would make a go ahead. 90% of the MLB baseball pitchers weigh over 200 pounds. Like, Let's not crush their joints so early in their careers. They last for 13, 14 years if they're good players. They're, the baseball pitchers are weighing 215 these days. Let's not run. Hey, look at, look at that one dude who's playing for Cincinnati, man. I don't know his name, but I'll tell you, man, to find out that he's, like, spending some of his time going out there and playing, like, right or left field, you know, sometimes they'll put him in as a pinch runner. Like, here was a guy who said, you know what, I pitch, but I'm an athlete, you know, and I think that's interesting, but – I think he, he opened a lot of people's eyes. I'm pretty confident you're going to see more of that as well. You know, pitchers who actually are, are able to be utility guys in other places because instead of resting this whole time and treating them like they're super delicate, like actually allowing these guys to train more frequently. This guy admitted to spending, I think the number was something crazy. Like, you know, it was like 30000 or more in an offseason to his trainer and who just basically is like put that $10,000, uh, you know, a month or whatever it is to his trainer to make sure that he got his body in the shape that he should. I mean – realistically that was great and great endorsement for us but also it just makes a lot more sense you know pitchers do a really really athletic thing and it's almost like taking a guy who throws a discus or a guy who throws a hammer or something like that and basically to the same time like not having the guy do any strength work not having the guy do any other work and you know and if you look at these other guys who throw like the javelin most of these guys are really strong good athletes who are powerful So I don't know. Let's, let's just kind of sum some of these things up here. So I think what we've talked about is, as uh, as coaches here, when we're talking about conditioning, it looks like we're in a situation where we uh, we all agree that we have to be able to understand what the athletes are doing, right? Does that make sense? So all in all, we understand what the athletes are doing, and we understand what they are are trying to work on, what the sport demands are. It allows us to do our job better. Is that, that pretty fair to say? But then secondary on there, we're talking a lot about this idea that when we're working with young athletes, we want to make sure that we are developing the ability to produce more force. That's a lot of what we're looking at here. So we don't want to build, quote unquote, conditioning, the ability to continuously produce a certain level of force if we believe that that level of force is subpar for the sport. Is that fair? Cool. And then I think to a certain level, we've talked about specific protocol or ideas that we might have that if we feel like the athletes aren't quite getting enough from the sport, there are certain things that we can recommend, like a do this, not that kind of thing. Going like with John, when we talked about if the athletes are going to run anyway, maybe recommending some kind of running that's more effective for the sport. And then Paul gave a great example of, let's say if we had a soccer athlete, or if we were talking about, uh, you know, a lacrosse athlete or someone like that, offering the suggestion of something that's more of like, a, like a, a, an interval or some kind of uh, sprinting while having a resting, kind of like the fart lick that we talk about, which is generally, let's say you have four athletes running together, whoever's in the back has to run to the front of the line, right? While everybody else is just jogging, hopefully at a slow pace, 
so that there's a recovery pace. So the guy in the back sprints to the front, and then everyone's just kind of jogging at a certain pace that keeps them, you know, in a recovery zone while the next guy runs, that kind of thing. And then we talk about the other kind of like non-specific but more um, more exciting kind of training that is your modified uh, strongman uh, training, yeah. where you had gotten into the idea of using odd weights, um, you know, actually doing crawls, carries, a um, couple other great great ideas that you've thrown in there. Actually, just shoot a couple over there. If you were going to just give a quick modified circuit. What would you do if you had, like, say, five things to pick for somebody? What would be a great modified strongman uh, circuit, and what would be the time frame? Well, um, uh, like I said earlier, it depends on what we're doing. But um, usually I have a sled push, right, uh, backwards. Yep. I usually have a sled push, a crawl, a backwards drag, and some kind of slam, and then some kind of carry. Slam oh. as in med ball slam. Like, it can be forward slams, rotational slams. Um, so I, generally, I don't I don't do rotational because it's both sides. So it might just be like the overhead rainbow slam, um, which are alternating sides as opposed to staying on one side. So. Okay. And could you substitute something in? Like, could you use battle ropes in that if you didn't have the net? Yeah, balls? you could. You could use battle ropes. Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely. Cool. So we got got into touching on that, and then I think you know I, I tried to touch just a little bit on the. Uh, you know, some of the aerobic work that might go in there. And I think, you know, all in all, if we're, if we're actually doing cross country, um, and this really goes in the same thing we're talking about, if the kids aren't fast, then I think we want to spend a little bit less time worrying about them being able to run the distance that, you know, we're, we're talking about. Like, yeah, we, obviously the kid needs to be able to run 3.1 or something of that nature. But at the same time, I think spending a little bit more time on being able to run, say, like, one mile fast might actually have better transfer for these kids because when we're talking about you know when we're talking about these these athletes a lot of times and practice they're already running the distance so pay attention to that but if in practice they're already running three miles four miles a lot of a lot of cross-country coaches have the tendency to want to have the kids run a little further than they're going to run in the meet what i think our job as strength and conditioning coaches are to look at and, and figure out if they're doing any of those shorter runs where they're actually spending more energy and trying to be more powerful. Um, that's something I've learned personally. You know, if you can get a cross country uh, runner to run a fast half mile and teach them how to do it, that transfer is pretty great because now they're actually speeding their feet up. Now they're used to pressing into the ground. The run looks a little bit different. They're being more expressive. And generally, if you can do that short to long approach, it helps. But even if you're catching them just before the season, just introducing in some of that, uh, that, that faster work at a shorter distance usually allows these athletes to be able to build a capacity that they didn't have really just going along what you guys were talking about, which is I think our role in many instances is to be able to help these kids be more expressive first and then, you know, figure out if there's a gap really in the aerobic conditioning or if it's maybe just an, an inability to be able to express properly um, or if they're just not strong enough to compete with athletes who are stronger. Sometimes they're tired because they're just not putting out enough force, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, is that I think fair to, and Paul, I was going to say real quick, you'd be a great guy to talk about this. You were a smaller hockey player, right? That's pretty fair to say. But you were, were but for you, if you went against someone who was like, say, uh, a little bigger than you, a little more skilled, right, and uh, and a little stronger, did that wear you out a lot more? Yeah, l luckily I played goalie, but I just had this conversation with one. I coach um, a local high school team. Uh, 
And I talked to one of our players who's about 5'6", 120, and he's really skilled. But the problem is he plays so close to the boards. And when you're playing at the high school level, he's a freshman, and he was on varsity. But they're seniors that are two times the size of him. And if these guys pin him to the boards early in the first and second period, his legs are dog shit by the third. And I told him, I was like, you have speed and you have skill. Now you have to adapt your game based off what's happening. And he didn't quite understand. So I said, you know, if you're in the battles, if you're in the gritty spots, that's when you're wasting a ton of energy. And eventually we can get you there where you can go in and get that puck and, you know, battle with those bigger guys when you put some strength on. But right now he was just wasting so much energy. And by third period, I couldn't even put him on the ice because, you know, slower ice, dirtier ice and a tired body. He was, he was a liability. So I think like you're saying, it's recognizing when you're battling a bigger opponent, it's going to drain you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's where, sure. where, the, where the strength comes in, and it's also some strategy until you get there also. Yeah, that, that's, your strengths. yeah that's also important in, like, a sport like basketball, right? Um, like, a lot of people, um, when they train basketball players, they want to go straight to, like, plyometrics, all this jump training. But, like, man, that guy can't even last long. That guy is going to get taxed in the first quarter because – Body to body. Yeah, the other guy is freaking wearing him out. So, man, look at that kid. He's, like, skinny. He looks like a twig. Well, we need to put some muscle mass on him so that he can uh, sort of maintain throughout the game. So, Absolutely. You know, man, it's funny. I would have to play against a, a guy who's uh, more John's build, right? So I'm, like, 6'2", and I'm not that long as far as my limbs go. I'm, like, really <laughs> even that way. So there'd be a guy who was, like – so I would actually have to try to, like, lean my body into a guy like John more to get rebounds and things of that nature and – I learned, uh, honestly, like after, after high school, I learned more like midway through college that, you know, by, by being more physically strong, I would start to get mm-hmm. that guy tired when I would put my mass in him. Meanwhile, oh, when yeah. I was like, you know, when I, when I was younger like that, I was like one of those guys who was afraid to lift weights because I didn't want to mess my shot up. I spent most of my time just working my calves thinking that was what was going to be important for jumping. And man, it was just like, you know, you get real tired when you go against someone that was just like big, strong. You find out this guy was playing football too. So he was like pretty, pretty big. So like I'd go against a guy who's six, four, you know, 200. And I was like six, two, 175. And just, you know, usually by the third quarter, I'd be dead tired. Plus I found myself working really hard to try to get open and go around the guy to get to my spots instead of being able mm-hmm. to put my body in and then get off. So, you know, again, yeah. it just goes to show having more physical strength really does matter. And you're more explosive. You can push it off the ground better. Yo, I remember when I was in high school, I told that to a coach. And I remember his name is Coach Bo, my favorite basketball coach in high school. I said, man, all this lifting is going to mess my shot up. He said, well, if you're bigger, faster, and stronger, you don't have to shoot as much. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can yeah. just drive to the rim and just dunk it. <laughs> you don't have to Sounds shoot. Sounds like you took his advice because you said you were dunking on everybody. So that's awesome. Right. Exactly. I think Ben yeah, I didn't, I I didn't have Coach Bo. <laughs> huh? Yeah. I didn't have Coach Bo, and you're right. Yeah, it sounds like Ben Simmons did take that advice. <laughs> you know, he's still, dude, he's still working with Coach Bo. Bro, it works in high school, but I don't know about the end. I mean, it's working a little bit for Ben Simmons. He's still a savage. <laughs> he's still, I mean, he looks like he – yeah, he's dunking on he's those guys just like he was in high bro, school. It doesn't matter. He's still a baller, bro. But if he can shoot, hey. that, that would be a plus. You know? If he could shoot, if he could shoot, he'd be like, you know, already getting talked about top three best guys in the NBA at that point. I mean, because realistically, if he could shoot, he would basically be Giannis. Like, because Giannis developed a little shot, you know what I mean? So now Giannis, 
is more dangerous because people are actually afraid that he may shoot and make it. Ben Simmons, they're playing freaking uh, five on four, you know? Absolutely. Well, yeah. it's funny that we're talking about Ben Simmons in this cast. I don't want to get too far off, uh, you know, off topic on this one. But, you know, I will yeah. just say this. If Ben Simmons could shoot, he would actually <laughs> be a little bit more dangerous than Giannis because he's a better passer. Oh, he's passer. dirty. Yeah, he's it's crazy. He'd be dirty. <laughs> he'd be dirty. So, anyway. So, all right, guys. So, I think we, we pretty much summed everything up here. So, we talked about energy systems. I think there's probably some room if we want to. We can go uh, down the road and have another talk on this because I think there's um, – we could go a little bit more specific sport if you wanted to or something of that nature. But I think for now, if you guys have any questions, definitely hit us up. But I think you have enough to be dangerous right now. Just realize that when you're working with young athletes, um, this idea of running these kids to death is not the way you want to do it. You don't really want to train these kids to be tired, to think that if they're tired and they keep moving, that's good, they're going to have an advantage. You want to make sure that they can be expressive, they can be powerful, and then that they can maintain it as long as possible. But if they can't move powerfully and explosively, we're probably not doing, any, doing them any favors by having them do it longer, right? And John's got something. I see that hand up. Yeah, so one more thing, because hopefully um, we're going to be able to play uh, football. Um, and the fall and stuff. One more thing for all the receivers out there, one of the best conditioning I ever did in college was simply running through the route tree and then set, like, as soon as I was done, like, setting a timer of, like, 35, 40, 40 seconds, very similar to the sled, like, and I would actually run back as if I was, like, in the huddle, right? I'd run a route, boom, hard as I can, bang, bang, bang. And then I would jog back as if I was going to the huddle, rest 40 seconds, then do the next route. Like that's some that's one of the best condition I ever done. Like we used to do like I think I was saying it's a great idea, especially because yeah. just practicing running routes at full speed right. on a field, that yeah. also works a certain part of your brain for conditioning. Remember that yeah. when you guys are conditioning yourselves, part of it is making sure that this isn't the first time that you've done this type of thing. And that it's like one of those things that it should be second nature. It's that sort of uh, what is it? Unconscious uh, confidence. It's that ability to do something and not spend a lot of thought on it. You know, that's mm -hmm. one of the big things. So, John, it's probably the reason why you were successful. Paul, what you got? Uh, for, for everything that's going on right now, I, I get a lot of questions from my athletes about how can they condition. All they have is their legs or they might have a bike. I think people look at an activity as conditioning where if you're looking at running, you could do a 15 to 20 meter sprint rest again if we're trying to work that quick system rest about six to 20 times the length needed to complete that sprint that's going to work the quick system maybe the next day or the day after you do one of those fartlek runs do a 10 second hard run or a 15 second hard run and rest the rest of the minute that's going to work a different system and then when you get to the aerobic area if you have a bike go for a 30 minute bike ride i know john just got his he was sending us all pictures and videos yesterday of him on his fancy new bike you know <laughs> keep your heart rate low hop on your bike and just do something if not let's do a mobility circuit like i tell the baseball players don't do a long distance run if you're running the other two days you're doing conditioning you want to preserve the strength and power that you have you don't want to waste it on that run because guess what if you do that run at the end of the week and then you think you're going to sprint two days later and be really fast you're not going to recover enough so just be smart and know that there are things you can do there are coaches like us you can reach out to and we can provide you 
you know, they're, even if you're just doing hold a wall sit for 30 seconds and then do five squat jumps, rest the rest of the minute and do that for 10 minutes. You're training strength in the quads. You're training power production on the jumps. You're recovering with aerobic work afterwards. It, there is shit you can do. Just reach out and ask for help. That's awesome, man. I think recovery is a huge part of that. We'll talk about that on another cast. I really want to get a recovery uh, cast going, but just in general, it's, uh, I think sometimes you're going to look at an athlete and they might look like they're fatigued and they're tired. And we just have to pay more attention to, is it really that the sports make them that tired or is it those outside uh, components too? Are they not sleeping enough? Did they get into a fight with uh, you know, a family member or you know, girlfriend, whatever have you? Was it something that they ate? You know, or it could be training program related. So I think that would be another great one to be able to talk about down the road. But I think as far as conditioning goes, there's a lot of different factors. But I think right now we've given, uh, definitely given them enough to be dangerous with. So uh, I'm Eric Strassman. Uh, for John Coleman, Paul Kenny, and my dog, Thor, we want to thank you guys for listening to the app.